Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program where we study the words of the Buddha on Sundays and I deliver a teaching based on this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment, Volume 1. Each Sunday I go through step by step and we're restarting that program on January 8th where I'll be starting with opening up the program and getting you guys really acquainted with what that program is. And then each Sunday I'll be progressing week by week with the various chapters and content of that program. It's a seven month program. And of course, you're gonna miss a class here or there. They're all recorded. So as you miss them, you'll be able to digest them on your own time. And then on Wednesdays, we come together in order to meditate together. We're going to be restarting the group learning program on January 8th. So you can download this book for free by going to buddhadailywisdom.com. You can print it if you'd like, or you can order a copy on Amazon. And then you'll be able to progress in the seven-month program where each week on Sunday, I'm covering a chapter in this book. And then on Wednesdays, we come together and we explore meditation and actually do meditation together. At the beginning of that program, I do a four-part series on breathing mindfulness meditation, a four-part series on loving-kindness meditation, and a four-part series on chanting. And then we rotate back and forth between breathing mindfulness meditation and loving-kindness meditation. So this week, we're in breathing mindfulness meditation where I'll guide you guys in a breathing mindfulness meditation session. And then on Wednesdays, I open up to any and all questions that you guys might have related to meditation, but really anything on the path to enlightenment, whether it's about the Buddhist teachings, something that you've learned with me, some resources that you're utilizing with me, or something else that you're even seeing in the world, or how do you apply these teachings to your life. So Wednesday is really just free-form questions about anything and everything that you would like to ask about during class. What I do is I start with meditation and then at the end of meditation, we'll open up to any questions that you might have. The way that we do breathing mindfulness meditation is we start with chanting, then we do breathing mindfulness meditation, and then we come out with chanting. These are chants that you might have learned if you've studied the Theravada tradition of Buddhist teachings. And if you haven't, then I share these teachings and will help you to learn how to do chanting as part of this group learning program and other courses that I've taught. And these have been recorded. So if you haven't seen these classes yet, you can actually learn chanting ahead of time if you'd like. But if not, if you join that program on January 8th, eventually we'll get to the point where I actually teach you chanting. So I'd like to welcome all of you, whether you're joining us for the first time or you've been joining us regularly, and at the same time invite you to participate in meditation. If you'd like to get comfortable with the body, If you are sitting on the floor, that might mean you have a cushion under your rear with the 
legs lightly crossed in front of you. If you're in a chair, it might mean that your feet are just flat on the floor or crossed at the ankles. There isn't just one fixed way to position the body. Instead, there's multiple different positions that you might decide to use. It's important that you get comfortable, that you're not luxurious where the mind's going to be unattentive and unalert, but you're also not completely painful where the body is experiencing pain either. So not luxurious and not painful, but comfortable. So usually with the lower body, it's just the feet are flat on the floor or cross at the ankles. And if you're on the floor, usually people put a cushion under their rear to get that up in the air to lessen the angles at the hips, the knees, and the ankles. And then the hands and the arms rest comfortably in the lap. The Buddha put his right hand over his left with his thumbs together, and then he put that into his lap. But there's other options here too, because there's not just one fixed way, and that may or may not be comfortable for you. You might prefer to put your palms flat on your thighs or on your knees. Some people like to put their palms up. If you're in a chair with an armrest, you might even rest your arms on the armrest of the chair. Essentially, the lower body and the hands and arms should be completely relaxed in order for you to put the body in a position where it's comfortable, not luxurious, and not painful. Your upper body should be erect. This keeps the mind attentive and alert during the meditation because what meditation is is a dedicated, active, purposeful training session. It's not a time to just zone off and kind of dream for a little while. Instead, you're actively doing work to either eliminate certain unwholesome qualities or to arise certain wholesome qualities. And these are things that I teach as part of this program to help you understand exactly what you're typically doing in meditation. But today is just about doing meditation together rather than really teaching full out what meditation is all about. But just so you know that this is a dedicated, active, purposeful training session where you're eliminating certain unwholesome qualities and cultivating certain wholesome qualities. So you would like the upper body to be erect so that the mind is attentive and alert during the meditation. Next, just close the eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Here you're just working to establish the breath. You can hang out here and work on establishing the breath, or you can join in with the chants. I'll be back after chanting in order to provide some more guidance to help you get deeper into meditation. Nap more sa 
Arahato Arahato Sama Saputasa Napmurasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Saputasa Napmurasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Saputasa Iti piso mahakawa arahang samasamuto wicacaranang samuno sakatoro kawito. Anu tero purisa Dhamma sati sata tawa manu sarang Poto pakawati Yeah, you should be breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Here you're just establishing the breath, breathing in gradually through the nose, experiencing the full breath, establishing a nice natural breath. And then breathing out through the nose, gradually to establish a nice natural breath. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. Your breath isn't going to necessarily match up to the guidance that I'm providing. This is just guidance to help you along and to remind you to breathe. But this is your practice. So wherever you get to the next inhale, breathe in through the nose and then breathe out through the nose. You're the one doing the work here. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. With the breath well established, start fixating the mind on the sound of the breath or the sensation of air moving into the nose. The breath is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the breath, the present moment. Breathing in 
and out. Breathing in and out. With the mind fixated on the breath, whenever you observe that the mind is off the breath, cut that off, let it go. Bring the mind back to the breath, the present moment. No need to label the thought, no need to observe it, try to figure out where it's coming from or anything like that. Just wherever you observe that the mind is off the breath, cut it off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. in out breathing in in out I'm going to be quiet now and let you do this work of focusing on the breath Cutting off and letting go anytime the mind is off the breath. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. This is your time to focus on the breath. Breathing in. In, out.
since we started meditating. I would like to remind you guys as you're coming out of meditation that breathing mindfulness meditation is to arise the wholesome quality of mindfulness, which is awareness of mind, and more specifically, the four foundations of mindfulness, and to arise the wholesome quality of concentration, where you can focus on just one single thing at a time. In this case, in meditation, it's the breath, But then you move those two qualities of mindfulness and concentration into your daily life through your daily activities. And you're also working to eliminate craving, desire, attachment, where the mind is longing and yearning, chasing after the objects of your affection. Both of these, the eliminating the unwholesome qualities and arising the wholesome qualities is what's going to bring the mind closer and closer to enlightenment, along with all the other teachings on the Eightfold Path. This is just one aspect of training, which is meditation. 
The goal of this meditation isn't to eliminate thoughts. Sometimes when someone's first starting out and they hear the guidance of cutting off thoughts and letting them go, they think that the goal is to eliminate thoughts, but this is actually impossible. You can't actually eliminate thoughts. As long as you're alive, you're gonna have thoughts. Even when the mind is enlightened, in meditation, you're gonna have the occasional thought. You can quiet the mind, you can still the mind, the mind can be brought to peacefulness and joy, but you're always gonna have some amount of thoughts in the mind. It's just that as you develop your practice more and more, you're not gonna have the random bombardment of thoughts that you might have when you first start out. As you train in all the steps of the Eightfold Path, your mind's gonna get more and more quieted, more and more peaceful, not only in meditation, but outside of meditation too. So don't be misled to think that your goal is to eliminate the thoughts because that's not what you're actually working to do. You're working to gain this discipline or this control over the mind that you can observe the thought as it arises, but then you can cut it off and let it go. You're not interested in observing the thought. You're not interested in spending time dwelling in the thought during meditation, but you just would like to cut it off and let it go in meditation. So that now in daily life, as anger or sadness or frustration or other discontent feelings arise, you'll be able to observe that sooner and sooner, and then you can cut it off and let it go. And more and more readily, you'll get to the point where you've eliminated cravings, desires, attachments, and anger and sadness, frustration, and all these other discontent feelings won't ever arise because you've done all this inner work to ensure that you've eliminated craving, desire, attachment, and you're doing all the other work on the Eightfold Path that the mind gets to this point where it's quieted and it's stilled. In daily life, you're only cutting off the unwholesome thoughts that arise. In meditation, you're cutting off all thoughts because you're training, you're exercising the mind, you're getting this discipline or this control. But remember, there's going to be the occasional thought. An enlightened being in meditation can observe when the thought arises and they can immediately cut it off and let it go. But in the unenlightened mind, you might follow that thought for a few minutes. You're like, oh, you're so indulged in the thought. And then you realize, oh my goodness, I'm meditating. What am I doing? And then you cut it off and you let it go. But as your mind gets more and more trained and more developed, you'll be able to observe the thought sooner and sooner, and you'll be able to more easily cut it off and let it go. In meditation, you're cutting off all thoughts, but that's just our exercise. That's the way that we're training the mind and disciplining the mind to get this control. In daily life, we're cutting off unwholesome thoughts. So as you learn what the unwholesome qualities are, you're learning to cut those off and let them go. And where you see wholesome thoughts and you see wholesome things in the mind, you would like to support those, encourage those, don't allow those to fade. This is part of right effort on the Eightfold Path, that where you observe with mindfulness that there's unwholesome aspects of the mind, you cut that off and let it go, and then you arise the wholesome and you support, encourage, and not allowing it to fade and that's in your daily life so let me see what questions you guys have because today on wednesdays i just open up to any and all questions that you might have you can put those into facebook youtube or zoom if you're in zoom you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly um yes sir tonka has her hand raised let's go to her for a question thank you miranda Teacher David, uh, I've had a situation at work that I would like to talk to you and see if you can give me advice. As you know, I work in a retirement home and I have a lady uh, 
that is uh, 94 and she has teddy bears in her bed and she thinks it's her children. So I need to bring her to dining room because she doesn't remember. So as we were walking to dining room, uh, she stopped and she said, I have to go back check on my children. And I, I tried to distract her, uh, like that's uh, the, the best strategy as I know. But then that didn't work. She said, did you hear me? I have to go back and check on my children. So, and then I said, uh, I was there just uh, a moment ago and they are sleeping, they are fine, let's go. And she was happy. But then I realized I just lied to her and then I'm just not sure. It seemed to be uh, like my intention was good and it was beneficial because she relaxed right away. But I'm aware now that it, was, it wasn't true. But then when you are dealing with people with cognitive impairments, like, uh, like I'm just wondering if there is uh, something else that you can think of that can be useful in those situations uh, because I know about distraction, but sometimes distraction just doesn't work. So if you have any other suggestions. Yeah, sure. So remember impermanence, Tonka. So when you come up with something that's working in one situation, it's not going to always work. Sometimes it's going to work, sometimes it's not. So this is wise of you to have many different options that you might be able to use. So distracting the mind and redirecting the mind is always helpful. And you can do the same thing, but just do it in a way that's not lying, right? Because you're not interested in lying. You could say, oh, we were just there and I'm sure they're fine. Or, you know, let's go have some dinner and when we come back from dinner, we'll be able to check on them or whatever you need to say. But just do it in a way that you're not lying. But redirecting the mind is, is the best way because her mind is holding on and clinging to those bears and what's in the room and you're trying to get her to make the choice to let that go. And whatever you need to say that's not lying that will help her to move forward, that's what you need to do. And a lot of these things you come up with in the moment, you know, it's not like you can kind of pre-plan what the conversation is or exactly what you should or shouldn't say. Instead, just reside in the moment and just know that her mind is clinging to those bears. And what you're trying to do is give her options to choose to let those go. And you might have to do different things at different times where this time, you know, you realize you would like to not lie. Other times you might have to say, well, how about if we go eat dinner and then we'll check on them after dinner? Or how about if I take you to the to the cafeteria and while you're eating, maybe, maybe, right? Maybe I can have somebody check on them. Because when you say maybe, it's not saying you will or you won't. It's just saying maybe, right? So you can come up with these different creative ways and then you have three, four, five, eight, ten different ways and just reside in the moment and do what you feel is best in that moment, knowing you're trying to help her to let go of the clinging to the bears and she's got to make that conscious choice to move towards eating. Okay, thank you, teacher. Uh, yeah, I think it may be the best to kind of have uh, pre-planned uh, five different options and then whatever seems to be the most appropriate. Uh, another incident was uh, a man came uh, all in tears and he's like, my wife just left me this morning and his wife was dead for years. And like we are dealing with a lot of situations like mm -hmm. that. 
and you know like it's kind of tricky you know like uh, not not to lie lie uh, meaning you know like mm-hmm. you want to acknowledge their feelings uh, as well you know mm-hmm. but i think i'm gonna have to spend some time and kind of pre-plan several uh, situations and then uh, see what is uh, the best in that moment but uh, but what you are saying is uh, doesn't matter who you are dealing with even if it's someone with a cognitive impairment it's never uh, a good idea to to say yes i did it even though if you didn't even though you are not hurting then that way even though if it's beneficial but it's still not uh, the best uh, way to deal with it yeah, it's still not true. What you're trying to get to yeah. is where you're speaking those five factors of well-spoken speech, and one of those is the truth. So be sure mm-hmm. that you're always speaking the truth, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have to say, well, your wife's been dead for 20 years. You don't have yeah. to necessarily say that. You can say, oh, I'm sure everything will be okay. You know, Let's just go to the dining hall. So while you might have some pre-planned things that you realize work in a lot of situations, I would suggest that you don't stay fixed to those, that you keep your mind open to being in the moment and then just responding to whatever's in the moment because an awakened being, a person with a higher consciousness that's enlightened, they're going to be able to reside in the present moment and just make whatever decision is wise in the present moment. They're not going to have like a a whole list of pre-planned things that they're just going to say like stock answers, right? Because this is like what a robot would do. A robot's going to have these this code of a coding language and then they're just going to pick whatever answer of the code but what a conscious being someone with a higher conscious that is enlightened that is wise they're going to be able to reside in the present moment be able to observe what's going on and then make a wise decision that's loving and kind and compassionate in the present moment so that you don't feel like you're like a robot and just picking off a pre-planned thing but you can make a wise decision in the moment Thank you, Teacher David. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. Yes, I see that uh, Chantana has her hand raised. Let's go and her, her question, please. Uh, Swadika, Teacher David, you hear me okay? Yes, I can hear you. Swadika. Swadika. Uh, I have a question about uh, the meditation. When you say, like, focus on your breath, because I have um, vocal cord paralysis, so my breathing is very short. Sometimes, it even stopped like a halfway through when I'm breathe, and um, I'm not quite understand like uh, when you breathe, you put your mind to the tip of your nose, and just feel the air in and out, or you follow the air through down to your uh, lung and your tummy and coming out. Yeah, what, what I is the best. Thing? Sure. I don't do either of those things that you're describing. What I do is as the air is coming into the nose, there's a certain sound that you hear inside the head and inside the face, right? There's there's some sound that you're hearing, and I'm going to focus the mind on that sound. In some rare situations where maybe I'm in a loud environment where the noise of the environment is louder than the sound that I'm hearing in the nose, I'm going to use just the sensation of air moving in over the skin of the 
whatever they call this right under the nose. It's not the upper lip, but this area, like where a mustache would be. I'm going to feel the sensation of air from there moving into the nose. Um, and that's just a rare situation. And then there has been some very rare situations where my sinuses were all blocked up and I had to breathe in through the mouth. And I, I've trained this way to be able to breathe in through the mouth. And in that situation, I focus on where the air is coming in over the lip. But the vast majority, 99.9% .9 of the time, I'm going to focus on the sound of the air coming into the body through the nose. Uh, but when you hear only the sound, how do you know when you breathe in or breathe out? Because in uh, the Buddha teaching said, when you breathe in, you know you breathe in. But I don't really know why I breathe in or breathe out if I'm just focused on the sound. Yeah, if you just focus on the sound, you should know that you're drawing air into the body and you're exhaling out of the body. It's the sound, but you should know that you're breathing in and know that you're breathing out. Yes, sir. I had a couple of questions. Kind of going off of what Tonka was asking about, I also work, as you know, in an assisted living facility. And one of our residents right now is on hospice and she's very frightened about the idea of death. And she's been asking certain things like, am I going to be okay? Am I going to make it? These types of questions. And through using skillful speech, I've been able to not really lie to her. But as her questions are getting more complex and more detailed, I guess my question is how really to focus on the impermanence of life without really talking straightforward about Buddhism. This lady is Catholic, very into her Catholic religion, um, while still being comforting towards someone who is very afraid about meeting their own physical death. Yeah, these are situations that I would need to handle on a case-by-case -case basis because oftentimes we would like to have this pre-planned way, you know, of dealing with every situation. And this isn't the way that the Buddha taught. Um, this isn't the way that Jesus taught either. You know, it's important to be in the present moment. And as long as you're thinking about all the steps of the Eightfold Path, uh, which includes right intention, right speech, right action. As long as you're thinking about that right speech with five factors of well-spoken speech, as long as you're thinking about loving kindness and compassion, these are all things that you can just ensure those qualities are in the mind. And then whatever you say is the appropriate thing to say in that moment and trust that, right? So if I was in your role and someone was asking me about death and if I knew that they are going to die and they kept asking me about death, I would just say, you know, this is a question you should talk over with your doctor. I can see that you're very concerned with this, and this is something that you would like more information on. I suggest that you talk with your doctor the next time you see them. That would be the best way to get answers to that question, right? And I would just say it like that because it's not my place as a care provider that you provide to deliver that news. I don't think. So that's where you can just be really warm and friendly. And then if they say, well, I don't know when my doctor is coming in next. Oh, well, is that something you would like me to find out for you? Right? I can find that out for you. When is your doctor coming to see you next? So you just help them whatever is the next thing that they're interested in, but knowing that you're not going to share the information with them about if they're going to live or die. Yes. Thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, on a lighter note, 
Mm -hmm. I suppose. Um, in periods of time where there is illness, like right now I have this respiratory thing going on with the body where there's coughing, sneezing, that's going on. Is it wise just to, I mean, during meditation, you need to cough, go ahead and cough and then just kind of refocus the mind on the breath? Or is there a better way that this could be handled? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. It's just cough, do what you need to do, and then come right back. This is really actually uh, helpful to the mind because it needs to see that impermanence that you're used to just sitting or lying or standing or walking and breathing and everything's fine. And now you see, hmm, the body's not going to be able to do that permanently. There's going to be a cough. There's going to be a sneeze. And when that occurs, that's some impermanence coming into your meditation. And then boom, just refocus the mind right back again. This really helpful to the mind. I've actually been in temples before teaching and there was somebody else who, he's not a really a teacher, but he kind of like spends a lot of time at the temple. And I had some students that I was teaching and I was teaching, 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 teaching. And then I got to a point where I had just had completed my sentence and he's like, enough okay done he like jumped in on top of me he's like that's enough for the students today and i was like hmm okay um he wasn't angry he wasn't you know doing that kind of thing he wasn't trying to control what i was doing he was just like okay you taught a lot like we're done i think his craving was such that he wanted to jump in on top and just kind of cut off what i was saying and if you train like this in meditation, that as you're focused on the breath, you're focused on the breath and achoo, and then boom, you can go right back to being focused again. When you're in situations like that, where you're talking and I was teaching and I was either going to say another sentence or a student was going to ask a question and somebody jumped in and cut off like that, it was just like, hmm, okay. And then boom, right back to being focused. So if you train like this in meditation, then you'll be able to do it in daily life. So knowing your job, if you're working with the medications and trying to get all of that worked out, and then a resident pops their head out of the door and grabs your attention, it's like, okay, you deal with that. And then, all right, right back to the medication. And then if you're training in meditation like this, where sneeze, right back to meditation, your mind can move like that and stay focused on whatever is in front of it and you can hone that in meditation so oftentimes when people experience things like this where they sneeze or they cough they might start feeling miserable if they're attached to meditation and thinking that all their meditation they should be able to breathe through the nose but if you look about it at like oh this is actually really helpful for my meditation practice because this is some impermanence that the mind needs to deal with. And each time I sneeze, each time I cough, I need to refocus the mind. This is actually helping me in meditation to refine the mind so that in daily life, I'll have that ability. So keep that in mind as you are training and experiencing sneezing and coughing. Yes, wonderful. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Uh, I see that Chantara has her hand raised. Let's go to her for her question. Ah, um, I have a question about fire hindrance that um, I feel that the fire hindrance is related to um, the four number truth, number two, the right intention, renunciation, ill will, and ignorance for some reason. Uh, because in Thai, gam, uh, renunciation, and the sensual desire is kind of like, uh, similar. 
Right. So you mentioned Four Noble Truths, but I, you're talking about the Eightfold Path, which is the second factor is, is yeah, right intention. Sorry. Yeah. So are you asking me about central desire and what's your question there? My question is that, is that any related or similar or the same? Yeah. So Hindrance, number, number one and number two yeah. and the Eightfold Path, number one and number two. Yeah. So the four of the five hindrances are actually part of the fetters, the 10 fetters. So the Buddha talks about these pollutions of mind in different ways, depending on whether he's talking about it as a fetter or he's talking about it as a hindrance. So there's the fetter of sensual desire, which also shows up in his five hindrances, because as long as there's sensual desire, which is the mind craving for pleasure, through the sense bases, as long as that's there, whether we call it a hindrance or we call it a fetter, it's the same thing, which is a pollution of mind. And what is described in the second factor of the Eightfold Path, which is right intention, as the intention of renunciation, the intention of non-ill will, and the intention of harmlessness, that renunciation is the willingness to let go and train the mind to let go of unwholesomeness. And central desire is one of those unwholesome things. So the mind needs to have the intention or the thinking or the thought that it's willing to let go, not just of unwholesome qualities, but also of false beliefs, opinions, views, things like this, because as long as the mind is holding on to its unknowing of true reality, which is what the unrelated mind has a significant amount of as it first gets going on this path, if the mind doesn't have the intention of letting go and renunciation of false beliefs, opinions, views, and unwholesome qualities, then it wouldn't be able to cultivate all the other factors on the Eightfold Path. So that's why those first two steps of right view and right intention is considered the wisdom section of the Eightfold Path, because this is where you're cultivating the wisdom of right view and right intention to then be able to practice all the other factors of the Eightfold Path. They're like building blocks for the rest of the Eightfold Path. So the um, the right intentions, the renunciation, is to have broadened uh, pictures than uh, the sensual desires. Am I correct? It has what? Bigger pictures, like uh, the broaden, broaden. Yeah. So if you look in Volume One, where I describe right intention. And then you look at how I describe renunciation, that I explain it as the intention or the thought or the thinking of letting go of unwholesome qualities and false beliefs, false opinions, views, things like this. Essentially having an open mind to letting certain unwholesome qualities go and cultivating the wholesome quality. So renunciation is letting go. So how do we uh, cultivating the wholesome uh, through the let um, the thoughts, the bad thoughts goes and catch it at the sensations, bodily sensation state like you teach or yeah. if it's come to the feeling, you cut it off, let it go. How do you know which one is wholesome and unwholesome in general? 
Yeah, so this whole path, the Buddha is explaining certain unwholesome qualities and certain wholesome qualities. There's a chapter that I can send you where he gives this whole list of unwholesome qualities. Of course, unwholesome qualities just at a high level are going to be craving, anger, and ignorance, those three poisons or three unwholesome roots. It's going to be all the ten fetters. These are just at a high level. But the Buddha goes into a lot of detail. If you send me a, a message or an email, I can send you back the sutra where he lists out a whole lot of unwholesome qualities and then in that same sutra he talks about the wholesome qualities as well so you learn these unwholesome and wholesome qualities part of this path you don't believe them but you learn them you reflect on them and you see where he talks about jealousy and conceit and arrogance and uh, all these different kind of things you learn like yeah and you can see reflecting on these how they cause difficulties in your life and then you look at the wholesome qualities and you can see how yes these would be very wholesome if i cultivated these in the mind so then whenever you're doing any work in the mind you're always looking at that upper section of the eightfold path which is right effort right mindfulness and right concentration this is the mental discipline section so what those three factors are all about is right effort right mindfulness right concentration where you have mindfulness or awareness of mind and then you apply right effort to cut off and let go of the unwholesome and arise the wholesome and more specifically as it relates to discontentedness what right mindfulness is about is being aware of the bodily sensations like before the mind gets angry or frustrated or irritated there's bodily sensations you probably aren't aware of those or you might be missing them in a lot of cases when you first are are starting to practice this you might not be really closely aware and that's where the breathing mindfulness meditation is helping you to slow down the mind so that you can become more and more aware of those bodily sensations in daily life and then when you get that awareness of the bodily sensations you can cut off and let go of any discontentedness either conditioned pleasant feelings painful feelings or neither painful nor pleasant as just a bodily sensation so this is how you gain this awareness is putting all these factors of the eightfold path together and practicing them in meditation but also in daily life as well i think the challenging for me is that i kind of understand the concept but those words like ego conceit something like that it's kind of big words and i have a lot of detail on that when it's happened you kind of like you don't know it's happened because there are the craving design attachment inside that is the same person, right? Mm -hmm. That have to do it and the same person that has it. So kind of like, I didn't see myself. And then when I see myself, when I already acting out and say something that, um, that hurt other feelings and because of my craving, something that I, then I have, then I feel bad and then have to try to clean it up, say apologize, something like that. That's a challenging part. Yes, this is why it's called a practice, right? You, you're not going to be able to learn the teachings in a book or in a class and then snap your fingers and instantly implement them. It's going to take gradual training, gradual practice, and gradual progress. Before you were on this path, I call it where we were just walking through the forest, knocking down the trees and burning up the forest. We could care less because we didn't even know that we were causing harm in the world and we didn't necessarily know that our mind was causing our own discontentedness but slowly but surely we become aware of each one of these aspects of the buddhist teachings and now if you're at least even to the point where after you're done talking and you realize oh my goodness i was so rude or man that was so arrogant of me 
that's actually good because you at least knew after the fact where in the past, maybe when we were teenagers or what have you, we were just knocking down the trees, burning up the forest. We could have cared less, right? So even if you notice it after you're done, okay, at least you notice it after you're done. Now you can apologize. Now you can try to make amends and now you can aim to do better. And now what you might end up doing is through your gradual training of meditation and all the other factors of the Eightfold Path, you start catching it a little bit sooner. Maybe you're like three quarters of the way through your sentence rather than at the end of your sentence, you catch it at three quarters through. And now you catch it there, you cut it off, you apologize. And now some more training, more time, you catch it halfway through. Now you catch it at a quarter of the way. Now eventually you get to the point where you're having the thoughts and you really want to say something and it's on the tip of your tongue and you realize, "Mm -mm, I'm not going to do that. I know where that leads. I'm not going to do that. And you pull it back right? And you restrain the mind. And then you do that enough times and you get to the point where now there's just bodily sensations that are arising. It's not on the tip of your tongue anymore. It's just bodily sensations. And you cut that back. And then eventually you get to the point where the unwholesome thought doesn't even arise. The way that I think about it is like a wild bush. You got this wild bush growing in the mind and you cut it back a little bit. And then you cut it back a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And what you ultimately would like to do is what the Buddha described as obliterating it at the stump so that it's no longer subject to future arising. So if you can cut this wild bush all the way back to the stump and you can uproot the causes, which are the 10 fetters, if you can uproot those, then you'll get to a point where it will no longer arise. But you're not there yet. You're still getting to the point where, you know, you're out on the outer edges of the bush, just realizing that there is a bush. And oh, my goodness, I just said something that I shouldn't have said. Right. So you've got to gradually work to trim this bush back and get better and better at that. And it's an accumulation of benefits. So, yeah, you're challenged. And that's what it means to be on this path is you're going to face many different challenges. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be difficulties. But as you work with this more and more, you accumulate the benefits and you get more and more ability to restrain the mind, control the mind. Eventually, you get to the point where these things aren't occurring at all. But just know that you are going to have these situations. And you and I have talked recently, and that's why I suggested for you what I suggested for you, because that's going to help charge up your battery, so to speak, a bit more so that you'll be more able to practice and and control the mind in a better way. Uh, Thank you. Another thing is that like uh, how to deal with like myself, like sometimes I I knew I see high expectation for myself. And then my, when I'm, I can't do it, I'm just kind of sad and cry. Mm-hmm. But I know that um, I shouldn't have that. Feel. I know that my feeling come. I have to cut it off and let it go. But it's still. What you would like to do, since you know that expectations of yourself or others is only going to lead to discontentedness, it's going to lead to those painful feelings. As soon as you see the mind starting to form expectations about yourself or others, cut that off and let it go and be like, nope, I'm not going to let that happen. So you get so understanding how these expectations always lead to some discontentedness that when you see the first little glimmer of the mind wanting to create expectations for yourself or others, 
you don't allow the mind to do that. You just wipe it clean and get rid of it because that's only going to lead to discontentedness. So, so just try to see things as it is and just stay in the present. Yep. Just and stay. don't think too much too far ahead. Well, there's no harm in thinking. You can think in the future. Like you asked me at the beginning of class, prior to class, am I going to India? When am I going to India? Well, I'm going next year, right? In December, I've already planned all that out. But I also know that when I plan that, it may or may not actually happen because I planned it. I set it all up. I've got it all organized, but it may or may not happen. Who knows what may happen between now and December of next year? There's a whole lot of impermanence between now and December. So there's no harm in thinking about the future and planning the future. The challenge that the unenlightened mind experiences is when it longs and yearns, it has craving, it clings to some Thing in the future. And now when you're clinging and you're absolutely wanting that to occur, that's when you set yourself up to fail. And now the mind's going to be discontent. So wherever you see the mind wanting to have expectations or it's clinging or it's craving, it's wanting something to happen and it's got this desire for it to occur, that's where you know that that's problematic and you cut that off and let it go. So there was an example in class today at the temple. There was a a young lady who was talking about she makes appointments with her friends. And then when her friends call her and say, I can't come, she gets disappointed. Well, the problem isn't that her friends called and canceled the appointment. That's just impermanence. That's actually not a problem. That's a normal thing. That's the universal truth of impermanence. The problem that she was encountering is that when she made the appointment, her mind was expecting it. She was craving it. She was wanting to have this appointment. And now when impermanence came in, that's when she became disappointed. And what you need to do is get way ahead of this, that when you make an appointment with somebody, you're like, hey, I'll meet you for dinner next Sunday. Okay, great. But in your mind, you've got to make sure you tell the mind that this may or may not ever occur, that you're going to work towards that. And that's your plan. But there's any number of things that can come up between now and Sunday that may change these plans. And that's going to be completely fine with you. So the same thing, as soon as you see the mind wanting to put expectations on yourself to be perfect and be enlightened today, then you realize, "Mm, I can't do that. I'm a work in progress. It's going to be gradual training. So if I just yelled at my husband or if I just yelled at my children or what have you, okay, I just did that. That's unfortunate. I see that I did that. I need to calm down. Let me be calm. Let me get rid of this anger, whether it's a couple hours or a couple days, whatever, get rid of the anger and then circle back to your husband or to your children or whatever. And you might need to apologize in those situations. So as long as you're craving and expecting to be perfect today, then you're going to be discontent. And this is sometimes a challenge that a student will have when they hear a teacher describe what enlightenment is and exactly how the mind is supposed to work in order to get to enlightenment. And then when you realize that you're way short of that, you might be putting pressure on yourself to do that today. So what we're teaching as part of the Eightfold Path and all these other teachings is what you need to do in the ideal way in order to transform the mind to enlightenment. But you need to realize that you need to gradually work your way up to that. It's almost like sneaking up on enlightenment. It's sneaking up on these teachings, gradually learning them, gradually reflecting on them and gradually practicing to let the mind get better and better at this and just know that you're going to make mistakes. Even 
someone who's not yet enlightened, but say they're in the third stage of enlightenment. They're right on the cusp of being enlightened. They're in the third stage of enlightenment. They're still going to make mistakes. They're still going to have some problems. They're not going to do major things. They're not going to you know, yell and holler and scream at people like we do when we have ill will and we have wrong speech and we have all these other things. But they're still going to say things occasionally because they have conceits in the mind. They're still going to say something arrogant. They're going to still say something that's based in conceit because they haven't yet eliminated that fetter. So you got to let yourself breathe, let the mind breathe and realize that you're going to make mistakes all the way up until the mind's enlightened. And it's only once the mind's enlightened that you're no longer going to experience any kind of unwise decisions. But even in that third stage of enlightenment, there's still going to be some unwise decisions because there's still ignorance or the unknowing of true reality in the mind, even in the third stage of enlightenment. Thank you, teacher David. That's very helpful that um, I forget to think about things may not happen. That part is very, very helpful. Yeah. And I know that you're looking to maybe take a trip this summer and you can plan for that. You can set everything up. You can organize things. But you should be telling yourself this may or may not occur. You know, who knows? You might slip off the curb and, you know, twist your ankle and not be able to take that trip, right? You don't know. So you plan for things, you set things up and with the intention or aiming towards something as a goal or objective, but then you don't allow the mind to grab onto it and cling to it and absolutely wants it to happen. Otherwise, there's going to be discontentedness. How to not allow that? (laughs) That's where the training comes in. So the breathing mindfulness meditation, you're training your mind to come back, come back, come back to the breath. So now in daily life, where you see the mind grabbing onto this trip and wanting to go so badly, you nope, you, you can either talk to yourself, you can cut it off, you can redirect the mind. You say, nope, I'm not going to allow the mind to do that. I may or may not go on this trip and I'm not going to allow the mind to cling to this. So Let's just stay focused on what we're doing right now. Oh, I'm feeding the kids. I'm making dinner. Okay, let's just make dinner. We've got this plan for the summer to take a trip. And okay, we will work towards that. But right now, I'm just making dinner. Let me just focus on that one thing at a time. So practice singleness of mind. Yes, singleness of mind, this whole eightfold path. What you should do is you should know this eightfold path inside and out, backwards and forward, each individual step. And as you're learning each step, you should look at your practice and figure out where are you least practicing. So if it's singleness of mind and that's the one that you have the most difficulty with, then you should be working on that singleness of mind really, really closely, really working on that. Or for some people, it's right speech. They really need to work on right speech really, 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 really closely, right? So what the Buddha did is he taught that you should focus on moral conduct first. Once you have right view established and you understand right intention, which is the wisdom section, he taught to really focus in on the moral conduct. But that's not to say that you shouldn't be meditating or that you shouldn't be practicing singleness of mind, but you would like to just hone in your moral conduct because as long as you're causing harm through your moral conduct, that harm is going to come back to you. So you would like to clean that up first. That's what the Buddha taught to do is really hone in on the moral conduct and really dial that in closer and closer. But then also, as you see these other factors of the Eightfold Path and you're challenged in one of those or you're deficient in one of those, be sure that you know that, that you tend to 
bounce around from topic to topic to topic and you're not practicing singleness of mind. So therefore, where you see the mind doing that, you need to bring it more to singleness of mind. And just know that you're not going to be able to do that in a day or a week or a month. It's going to take time to do that. But if you understand how to do that and you really hone in on it, then you'll be able to do it more and more readily. But there's so many different pieces to look at to address. You really got to, you know, bring this down to what am I focused on right now? Because when I talk with you, Chantana, usually you're focused on so many different aspects of the path that you're lacking focus on what particular area are you really, truly focused on in the next few weeks? Is it your meditation? Is it your right speech? Is it your singleness of mind? And it doesn't mean you can't be doing some of these other things. It's just that you would like to be really targeted in what it is that you're most apt to focus on in the next week or two or three. Thank you so much, teacher David. That's very helpful. Mm -hmm. I think um, the hard part for me right now is the right speech. And um, regarding the the right view, um, could you please explain a little bit how to see that that it's the right view? Sure, I'll talk about that in a moment, but let me just say, say something since you shared about right speech. So breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation, that's like consistent and ongoing in your practice two or three times a day consistently throughout your weeks and your months, right? So that's there to be helping you to address the craving and the anger in the mind. And this is actually going to help you with right speech. So if you were just working on right speech and you weren't doing breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation, you wouldn't be successful at bringing up your practice of right speech. So be sure that even though you might be choosing to work on right speech really closely, that you still keep breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation ongoing on a consistent basis, because that's ultimately going to help you with right speech. Right view is all about the Four Noble Truths. You need to understand the Four Noble Truths of the problem, the cause, the elimination, and the complete elimination. That's what right view is, is understanding that craving, desire, attachment, that mental longing and strong eagerness is what's causing discontentedness. And the way to eliminate it is to eliminate craving, desire, attachment on the Eightfold Path. It's the Eightfold Path that's going to eliminate this for you. What wrong view would be, would be that you're blaming other people for your discontent feelings. When the mind becomes angry, sad, frustrated, and other feelings like this, is blaming others that it's their fault that you're this way that your mind has become angry. What right view is, is understanding that it's craving, desire, attachment that's causing all of those discontent feelings. And it's the Four Noble Truths that I share in chapter four that's going to help you to establish right view. That's why it's called the Four Noble Truths Establishing Right View. So you need to take responsibility for those feelings that you're experiencing and know that you're causing all this discontentedness yourself. Thank you, sir. We already mm -hmm. appreciate it. You're welcome. It appears those are all the questions that we have for today, sir. Okay. Well, thank you all for joining for today's class. It's really nice to come together and do meditation with you guys because it's a time for us to support, encourage, and motivate each other in our meditation practice. This helps the mind to gradually evolve. 
Of course, you should be developing a practice on your own where two or three times a day you're building up your practice. And some people start out with one meditation for five or 10 minutes. It's very rare that someone's going to start with two or three sessions a day for 30 minutes or more. You need to kind of gradually make space in your life over the course of months to build up to that. But as you do, that's where you'll see the most progress when you get to two or three sessions for 30 minutes or more. And we do this each Wednesday where today is breathing mindfulness meditation. Next Wednesday is loving kindness meditation. And we'll just rotate these. This Sunday coming up in our group learning program, we're still in that retreat series, Harmony and Relationships. Our very last class is gonna be on Sunday. And this is actually Christmas day. You're welcome to join for Christmas, December 25th, our very last class on Harmony and Relationships is titled Eradicating Pollution of the Mind, Eliminating the Ten Fetters. These are the 10 individual detailed problems of exactly what the Buddha discovered is hindering you from experiencing enlightenment and holding you back and keeping you trapped and stuck in the unenlightened mental state. So I'm gonna go through explaining individually what each one of these fetters are and individually, I'm going to be explaining exactly how to eliminate them so that you can experience this enlightened mind where it'll be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. You'll have this brightness and this radiance, this focus, concentration, clarity, and deep memory. So we'll be doing that on Sunday. And then on Saturday, we're doing the Pali Canon and English Study Group like we do every Saturday. And we're in volume 13, which is titled generosity. And I think we're in chapters 41 through 50 this week coming up. Uh, Miranda shaking her head. Yes. So we're in 41 through 50. So people tend to read those before class and or after class. But if you don't have time to read them for some reason, and maybe things didn't go as you thought because of impermanence, just come to class because we're going to read them in class. But if you do get in the habit of reading before and or after class, you'll find you'll get more benefit out of it because in class, we just study the words of the Buddha and then I share some teachings with you. But in the books, I go into a lot more detail of what those teachings are that the Buddha is describing. So I'll potentially see you in one of these future classes. Enjoy the rest of your day. Have a very lovely and wonderful day and we'll see you in a future class. Sawadika. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.